Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Rugby Lineout podcast. Uh, first up, apologies that uh, it's a bit late. Uh, unfortunately, over the course of the weekend, I got stricken down with COVID. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've been pretty well manned down until today. So fortunately coming out the other side of it now. But uh, yeah, sorry about the delay. Uh, as always, uh, in this episode, we will be <clears throat> wrapping up the action from last weekend's Epic Rugby Championship Round 2. Um, and because there was so much that went on, this will actually be the first of two podcasts today. Uh, one in which we uh, profile the uh, Springbok uh, All Blacks Clash at Ellis Park. And then the second one looking at that... Uh, Quite spectacular win by the Pumas uh, over the Wallabies in Argentina. So yeah, what a weekend. Um, starting off with New Zealand and South Africa. Incredible match. Um, you know, uh, huge pressure uh, for New Zealand coach Ian Foster and his captain Sam Kane. Um, you know, like I said in the blog, Really unfortunate, I thought, the way the two of them got kind of uh, almost lynched in the press in the week leading up to the to the test. Um, you know, the, the speculation about whether Foster would keep his job post the test and the same for Kane. Um, you know, the indecision and innuendos being made by New Zealand, the New Zealand Rugby Union. You know, in, in all all of it, it was all really sorted. And what struck me the most was whether or not you you were, uh, you know, you thought that Ian Foster was the right coach or Sam Kane the right captain. You know, you're asking your team to go and play one of the toughest test arenas in, in modern rugby. And you're basically stabbing them in the back behind the scenes while all of this is going on. I just thought it was incredibly sorted, incredibly cheap. Um, and yeah, just not really what you want to see in our game. Um, like I say, irrespective of the merits of Foster or Kane, um, I just think it was really, really poorly handled. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, what I was really impressed by was the team themselves. You know, they came out uh, unequivocally in support of both the coach and Kane. And I think as a result, to a man, they played for them um, last weekend in Ellis Park. And the result uh, is is now said and done. Um, New Zealand bounced back and came back with a memorable victory uh, in a very difficult environment. And I think, you know, to be honest, at the end of the day now, from now until the World Cup, um, that's enough. Uh, debate closed. Uh, let's move on and allow the All Blacks to focus on what they need to focus on preparation for the World Cup, which is just over a year away. Um, so, yeah, like I say, um, you know, given everything that's happened up to, to date this year with the All Blacks, losing the series to Ireland, the first loss against the Box and Nelspret. You know, they they fight for their coach and they pull off a miracle. Um, the end result of that is Foster and Kane are safe in their jobs till 
the end of the World Cup next year, and that's that should be enough now. Like I say, the the debate um, is done and dusted and closed, um, and and let's all move on from there. Um, you know, massive shout out to the team for rallying around their coach in a in a very very difficult week, and uh, you know that. I think is another demonstration of some of the core values that still underline the sport that, you know, when your back's against the wall, you, you bond together as, as a team and, and help each other through it. And I think, you know, if anything that showed a testimony to the character of this all black team. So uh, excellent to see for them and delighted. Like I've said all along, I personally never thought that, uh, Ian Foster would be shown the door before the World Cup, no matter what happened uh, at Ellis Park last weekend. Um, I just don't really see the merit of changing coaches uh, with a year to go before the World Cup. I think that's more disruptive than than positive. I know some people can say, oh, well, there are exceptions to the rule. Look at what South Africa did uh, with Rassi Erasmus a year out from the World Cup, and they ended up becoming world champions. Fair enough, um, but I don't think that things in the All Black camp, especially given the talent in their ranks, are as dire as what they were in South Africa uh, in 2018, a year out from the World Cup. Uh, people are also saying, well, hey, look what the Pumas have done uh, with Michael Cheka a year out from the World Cup. Sure, you could you could say... That's another example, um, especially based off of that pretty epic win in San Juan last weekend for the Pumas. But I'd still also argue that 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 experiment is still a little bit uh, too much fresh out of the test test tubes for us to really judge on that. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, we saw this week uh, New Zealand Rugby Union has got behind Foster. committed to him to the end of the next World Cup. Um, And then they will review after that, which is what should have happened all along and just left it at that. Uh, But in addition to help him get there, they've, um, you know, we already saw the benefits of um, him having Jason Ryan uh, injected into the coaching team as his forwards coach. And now they're going to have ex-Ireland coach um, Joe Schmidt, uh, brought into the mix as attack coach uh, from now until the World Cup and for the remainder of the World cha- the Rugby Championship. So he's got lots of tools at his disposal, which is what he should have had all along. The team are behind him. So like I say, enough said. Let 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 this team now get on with it and focus on the on the job at hand. Um, as I say, what happens post the World Cup? Well, that's 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 fair game. Um, that would have to happen anyway, and that's a natural progression. So we'll, you know, New Zealand need to cross that bridge when they get to it. But for now, focus on the task at hand. Um, like I say, I I thought, you know, one of the things that really annoyed me. Um, was the whole handling of the thing, particularly in that week uh, between the first test and the second test, is how um, it was so poorly handled by the New Zealand Rugby Union. Um, And all the more credit to uh, Ian Foster and his team for kind of 
not letting that get to them and focusing on on the job at hand, which was preparation for for the second test. Um, yeah, you know that it, I just thought a lot of it was shameful. I mean, a lot of the problems that New Zealand are facing now, uh, we saw creeping in from as far back as 2017 under Steve Hansen's reign. Now, admittedly, yes, Ian Foster was part of the coaching setup at that time, but New Zealand chose to have, you know, since 2017, have kind of chosen to ignore a lot of those problems. And now as it's come to a head, they've just used the easy option and thrown Ian Foster under the bus. You know, if, if the problems that were arising in 2017 leading up to the 2019 World Cup, if they were evident enough, then why did they stick with with the continuity in Foster? Um, that would have been the time for sea change, not now. So, you know, I think New Zealand Rugby Union kind of absolving themselves of all kind of blame and throwing Foster and, and Kane under the bus was just really, really poor. And, you know, given the caliber of New Zealand rugby, you would have expected better. But uh, anyway, that's enough said because New Zealand came back, proved them all wrong. And uh, yeah, I think, like I say, the, 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 the door on that debate is now closed until uh, November 2023. I think uh, New Zealand played uh, unlike in the first test and even some of the, the tests against Ireland, they played as a team. Um, their cohesion was superb. They clearly had a game plan. They clearly had an idea what they were trying to do and how to go about it. They put the right personnel in place to go about, about doing it. Um, and yeah, I think they also fully, as I said, they would, exploited the opportunities that got presented to them by, I think, errors in selection from the spring box for that second test. Um, so, you know, I think as well, they, they did kind of benefit from South Africa's mistakes, but there's no question about it. They played as a team and played really well as a team. And it was a much better team performance as a result. I think, you know, one of the questions, like I said in the blog this week, is what came out of that second test for me is, is our rich, you know, our fly half Richie Moanga and uh, back rower Artie Sevilla, are they probably the two most important men in the All Black setup right now? I would tend to argue that they are. And I think where the coaching team and how they decide to use those two players over the next 12 months is going to be key in how the All Blacks start getting their ship back on course in preparation for the for the World Cup. Um, you know, I think I talked about just, just now the, the selection decisions by South Africa. Um, I agreed with many that uh, I was really surprised, especially considering that that squad team announcement came out so early in the week that um, I was really surprised at, at the decisions. And there was, there was, there was three really now, admittedly they were forced by injuries to Bongi and Banambi, but I was really surprised at having Joseph Dwepa, who only has three caps to his name, start in a test of this magnitude. Sure. I could see him on the bench, uh, you know, but to be your starting hooker in a match of this magnitude, uh, wow. And especially when you, M Malcolm Mark started last week's, uh, the game, the first test, um, and had such traction and got 
the Springboks such traction early on that really disrupted uh, New Zealand getting any kind of rhythm, I thought the choice to start Dueba was a huge mistake. And we were proved correct. Uh, Dueba came off after only 35 minutes. You know, Marks came on and he immediately started to get that traction again. But the problem was, is South Africa were now in the position of having to play catch up rugby uh, almost with almost the first half done. And that's never going to work. You can never let particularly a wounded all black side get that kind of initial momentum and then hope you're going to be able to play catch up rugby. Um, and yeah, and I thought, you know, also having Jesse Creel in the center, um, sorry, on the wing rather, I mean, at best he's an average center in my opinion, even less of a winger. Um, you know, again, he got taken out by Caleb Clark's knees, which seems to be New Zealand's new secret weapon. But, uh, so the whole thing became moot and M Lucanu M had to be moved to the wing where, We'll talk about that later, but he did a stellar job. But, you know, you have to wonder if maybe a more inventive utility back like uh, Afaleli Fasi was put out on the wing and been able to combine with M, what magic could have then been created? And I, I still hold, if, if you know, Ninaber is going to make these kind of strange selection decisions, then why not be that bold? Why not, you know really give somebody like Fossey a chance to shine in an arena like this. I mean, what more is the poor guy got to do? Um, and then I thought, you know, Oxenche, he's not a bad player. But again, as, as your starter, maybe not the best uh, in the front row. And that, that front row really paid the price in that first 35 minutes. So, you know, I said that there were opportunities there for New Zealand to exploit and exploit them they did. Um, as basically what it, it did is it allowed a better organized New Zealand to start strong. Um, and like I say, playing catch up against the All Blacks rarely works. Um, everybody commented and I tended to agree. I thought that the box looked perhaps a little bit complacent and not as match fit as uh, the All Blacks. Um, you know, I think there was almost and probably perhaps by that incredible atmosphere in the stadium they were just convinced that with all the noise and the atmosphere and the the comprehensive win the weekend before there was no way they could lose they almost looked like they believed that and that's a huge mistake um you know they they fought their way back into it there's no question about it especially in the second half um and, you know, a lot of it was through the brilliance of Lucan Yuam, who was, who was man of the match. And it really, really, again, more on that later, but what an extraordinary player. But, you know, I think what you have to look at that is, is look at the replay of that match and watch New Zealand, a man down, Bodie Barrett on the bench. They're down to 14 men. But look how they played that last 14 minutes. Where, like I say, for most of it, they were down to 14 men. They just did not lose their nerve. And South Africa was throwing the kitchen sink at them. But, you know, they were just so much better organized, so more clinical than they had been in the first test. Um, and, you know, it's that composure that that's being able to secure that last 20 minutes under pressure. That is an old black trait of old. And if they can get back to being consistent at that, they are going to be back at being one of the hardest teams to beat on the planet quicker rather sooner rather than later.
Um, you know, I just, and I thought in that last sort of 15 minutes, South Africa really failed to take advantage of their, of their, you know, uh, having an extra man on the field. And if anything, they looked desperate and panicked and New Zealand just let them basically unravel themselves. Um, plus I thought defensively, uh, New Zealand to a man were superb last weekend. Um, on that note, I think defensively New Zealand made South Africa do more of the work. Uh, they, you know, they, they seem to have learned their lesson. And instead of them playing from deep all the time, they were forcing South Africa to play from deep, which just didn't really work for them. Um, I've mentioned as well in the blog how important I thought uh, Moanga was uh, to the All Blacks cause and how based on going forward, um, he will be so key, I think, to turning this All Black ship around. Bowden Barrett is a brilliant player. Do not get me wrong at fly half or fullback. But what he does is he is really good at unleashing the All Blacks individual talents what moanga does as a game manager manager in the pivot position is unleash um new zealand's collective strengths and new zealand are at that stage now where if they're going to get this ship back uh, upright um they need a moanga they need an organizer um that helps them give in a complete team performance as opposed to the in individual strengths of all their very, very highly skilled players, which Barrett tends to bring out. But they need an organizer, and Moanga has proven himself to be really, really good at that. He's a very calm, composed operator that really helps the All Blacks click as a team. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I think for the, the remainder of the rugby championship, um, I think it's Moanga as the starter, Barrett as the bench impact player, and combine those two resources together and how and when you use them during a match, and then you've got a lethal combination. Um, the possession battle was about 50-50, uh, but New Zealand edged the territory contest. Um, New Zealand were better under the high ball, and their control of the game meant that South Africa, unlike the first test, just simply wasn't able to uh, kick as much. Um, interesting, a lot of the statistics were, though, level pegging. Like, for example, meters made, 532 for South Africa, 533 for New Zealand. There's nothing in it. Um, but defenders beaten, 23 beaten by New Zealand against only 17 by, by um, South Africa. Uh, New Zealand offloads just eclipsed anything the box could do 15 to 3 um south africa though did win the turnovers uh 7 to 3 in favor of the box and rucks 83 they won 83 of their rucks opposed to 44 for new zealand um scrums and lineouts i thought overall were poor from both sides um but definitely they improved for south africa once uh marks came on um, I think for uh, New Zealand, they'll be looking at Takaheo, uh, Takaheo, I can never pronounce his name, um, the hooker. Uh, I think he's the way forward for them. A lot of their set piece work was a lot stronger with him in charge in, in this uh, second test. And I think you'll be seeing him starting uh, in both the Argentinian tests. 
And if that goes well, then I think you'll see him playing uh, the two Bledisloe Cup matches as well. I thought um, Shannon Frizzell um, brought a real physicality um, for um, New Zealand that uh, that South Africa um, that New Zealand had really lacked in the in the first test, um, and I expect to see a lot more of him uh, as the rugby championship unfolds. Um, and I've, his sort of real direct physicality, I think, really complements sort of Savia's, already Savia's sort of whirling dervish go-forward kind of skills at eight. Uh, I thought the center pairing of Havili and Ioani, despite me being quite critical of it in the first test, I thought that really, really clicked um, in the second test. Those two were really, really impressive. And, um, you know, I don't think that... Uh, South Africa really had an answer to them, especially when Am got moved out to the wing after, after uh, you know, uh, Creel went off. Um, I thought Dayende and Willemsa, I thought Willemsa had a good game at, at times, but I didn't think it was, it was cohesive as the Havili Yuani axis. I thought for South Africa, I thought Peter Steff de Toip is... I, I think we can all safely say he is fully back to his absolute best. And I thought alongside um, he was, Lukanyu Um, he was the hardest working springbok on the pitch, uh, along with Marks and Mapimpe and Willemsa. I thought those those five, uh, Dutoy, Willemsa, Mapimpe, Um, and Marks, they were the guys who stood out for the box. Everybody else, I thought, just looked to be honest, distinctly average in this second test. And they're need, they're going to need to step it up uh, in Australia 100%. So on that note, are South Africa down and out? Not at all. Uh, obviously, they've got some thinking to do about their selection decisions for the two-test tour to Australia uh, coming up. Um, you know... Uh, Australia are suffering right now, as we saw last weekend. Uh, they got a lot of bodies out. They've got real selection issues of their own. Um, we'll talk about that in the next podcast. But, you know, real issues around the pivot, number 10, 10 jersey. So, you know, South Africa, a bit like New Zealand, who had opportunities this weekend because of the selection decisions, South Africa will have similar kinds of of opportunities to exploit in Australia in the coming weeks. So yeah, um, Australia is not a happy hunting ground for the Springboks uh, lately, but I think they're in a much better position than they have been in recent years. So uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating contest. Um, and uh, I can't wait for the next two rounds between South Africa and Australia. Really interesting games ahead. I do think South Africa are going to get their mojo back again after last weekend's wobble um, and reestablish along with perhaps a resurgent New Zealand, their dominance of the championship, but we shall see. And as for New Zealand, well, they have their back back home in New Zealand now with all the, all the debate and uncertainty around the coaching uh, staff and, and so on's future. That's all now been put to bed for the, for their, to, to, from now until the World Cup, um, but they do face an, an Argentinian side that 
will no doubt go to New Zealand feeling pretty confident. Um, and, you know, if, if Argentina can play the way they did last weekend and New Zealand still have some of those chinks in their armor that they haven't been able to address, we could be in for a surprise and, and Argentina making a bit of history. We shall see. Either way, I think the next two rounds uh, hold plenty of fascination and plenty of drama. So I don't think you'll want to miss it. So I'm going to wrap that up one for now. Um, like I say, epic test. Um, I'll be putting the highlights out on the TV page. Um, if you missed it, um, there's nothing going on this weekend. Uh, obviously, it's a quiet weekend. So uh, maybe time to put your feet up and focus on uh, other stuff. And then we're back into it the following weekend. So uh, I'll talk to you very shortly with the Argentina-Australia wrap-up. But uh, till then, take care and stay safe, and we will talk to you soon.